Marilyn played that song, Majesty. Y'all know that song? But you don't know the story behind that song, do you? Uh, I've been thinking about that song as I uh, worked on my sermon this week. Let me tell you the story. Jack Hayford, who wrote that song, uh, back in the 60s, early in the 70s, he was very critical of people that showed any kind of excitement, any kind of enthusiasm in worship. Very critical. Uh, especially people that danced. Uh, he really, he really, uh, oh, he's not Baptist, okay? Uh, uh, especially people that danced. And he, very critical. And he got in his office and he started studying the Word of God. And in the midst of his study of the passage we're going to look at this morning, God got a hold of him. And he said he stood up in his office and he said, Lord, if you want me to dance for you, I'll dance for you. And out of that experience, he wrote Majesty. Good segue. Open your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 6. This is one of the most difficult passages in the Bible, but it's also one of the most helpful passages of the Bible because it talks about worship. Worship, so critical. David has become king over all of Israel. He's made Jerusalem his capital. He's made that his stronghold. He's made that his place. But he recognized something is missing. Something's not right in the nation of Israel. You see, David had a role as a political leader, but he also had a role as a religious leader. And so David recognized that if the people were going to be everything they needed to be as the people of God, then worship needed to be in the proper place. Worship needed to be relegated to a place of importance within the nation of Israel. And the same is true for us as well. Worship must be a priority for us as followers of Jesus Christ. So in 2 Samuel chapter 6, David gathers together 30,000 men to go and bring the ark of God to Jerusalem, to its resting place in Jerusalem. The ark of God is, is, the, is a visible symbol of the presence of of God. And it's always been with the people of Israel. It was with the people of Israel when they wandered through the wilderness. It was with the people of Israel when, when they, they entered into the promised land. It was with the people of Israel when they marched around the walls of Jericho. It was with the people of Israel during the time of the judges. And the Bible says that every time the people of Israel would go into battle, the Ark of the Covenant would go before them. The Ark of the Lord would go before them. And they would always have victory when the Ark was going before them because it symbolized the presence of God to the people of Israel and to those who they fought. But the people of Israel made a fatal mistake. As always, they made a fatal mistake. They thought as long as the ark was with them, they were guaranteed that God's presence was with them. And what happened, they began to depend upon the symbol of God's presence than to depend upon God's presence. And it got them into trouble. And so what happened, they went into battle one time and it was captured by the dreaded Philistines. But the Philistines had problems with the ark and, and they received cursings upon them because of that. And they said, we, we can't keep the ark. We can't keep it. So they put it on, an, on a cart, pulled by oxen, and they took it to uh, a nearby town to get it out of their presence. And the Bible says that, that it came to rest in the home of a man by the name of Abinadab. And Abinadab was 11 miles from Jerusalem. That's where the ark is at this time. 
And David says, we're going to bring it up to Jerusalem. There is, there is no subject that will cause more problems in a church than that of worship. I've been there. I've done that. Now what? It always causes problems. So this passage is going to be helpful for us. It's going to help us understand it. And as we look at 2 Samuel chapter 6, we're going to learn some, some truths that are extremely important for us to learn. And I want you to recognize three things in this passage as we talk about worship. Worship that is pleasing to God. We want to talk about that. Worship that pleases God. We're going to read the passage. I'm just going to kind of walk you through the story. The first truth I want you to grab is in your notes. Worship can be defiled. Worship can be defiled. As we examine the story, we see that everything starts off good. There's a large crowd of people that are gathered around. Not just the 30,000 that David took with him, the 30,000 men, but all the women and all the children that gather to see this. So it's a large crowd. And the Bible tells us that the sons of Abinadab, Uzzah and Ahio, escort the ark to this place, to Jerusalem. Verse 5 says that everything is going well. David is leading out in worship. They're singing. They're, there's praising. There's lots of instruments involved in this time of worship. It must have been wonderful. It must have been a great time to see all the excitement and the enthusiasm that's taking place. I believe it's a picture of true worship. We ought to get excited in worship. There should be excitement in what we do. We should be, there should be exciting to praise the Lord. There should be glorious music when you praise the Lord. It should be exciting to worship the Lord. But too much worship today is, is like entering into a freezer. I guess you could call it the church of the frozen or the frozen chosen or whatever. It's cold. It's, it, it's just, it's not vibrant. There's no energy. There's no warmth. There's no enthusiasm within the congregation. Now, I think you can go the other extreme as well. Instead of just being cold and frozen, you can allow your emotions to dictate your worship. Instead of allowing the Spirit of God to dictate your worship, uh, you can go the other extreme in that. We can let our emotions drive us. But all the indications are from this passage that it's true worship, that they're experiencing a, a wonderful time with God. However, don't assume that because you have a big crowd, because music is going on, because there's a lot of religious activity being conducted, that true worship is taking place. Something happens in the story Something happens and it catches us by surprise because we're not prepared for it. Verse 6 says that as they're making their way to Jerusalem, that the cart carrying the ark slips and Uzzah, the son of Abinadab, places his hand up to brace the ark. And it says at that moment, the wrath of God came down on Uzzah and he was struck dead at the very moment. Struck dead at that very moment. I'll tell you what, that'll stop your worship real quick when somebody dies. It happened. As near as I can tell, the Ark of the Covenant had been in Uzzah's house for over 50 years. As near as I can tell. That means that it's been in his house all of his life. For his entire life, he had the Ark of God around him. And I think that Uzzah made a mistake that so many make today. He became so familiar with spiritual things that he failed to understand how important and how holy spiritual things are. You see, that's the danger 
to people that have grown up in the church all their life. They begin to take it for granted. They begin to take worship for granted and, and they don't experience it the way that God intended for them to experience it. Familiarity causes us to be irreverent. Familiarity causes us not to understand how to properly relate to God because it's something we've done all of our life. And Usa makes a mistake. He's not a Levite. He wasn't supposed to be carrying it up. So he puts his hand up to stop the ark and he dies. Suddenly the worship ceases. The music stops. There's silence. Usa is dead. It's a terrible situation. Now when you first read the story, if you're like me, you say, wait a minute, God, that's not right. God, this isn't fair. All he was trying to do was keep the ark from falling to the ground. It was innocent. He didn't mean anything by it. That would be our first impression as we read the text. That would be what we would think. But we fail to read the rest of the story. As we begin to understand the context, as we begin to understand what's taking place there, we'll see that Usa was disrespectful. And what we see, it's an example of worship defiled. It's worship defiled because it's not according to the guidelines of Scripture. Let me point out why it's defiled. First, David is conducting the worship service in disobedience to the Word of God. He's conducting the worship service in disobedience to the Word of God. The Word of God is clear about who is to transport the ark and how it is to be transported. Turn over to Exodus chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25 is a verse where it talks about the ark being made and how the ark is to be carried. Look at verses 12 through 15. Cast four gold rings for it and fasten them to its four feet with two rings on one side and two rings on the other. Then make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings on the sides of the chest to carry it. The poles that remain in the rings of the ark, they are not to be removed. They're to be carried by poles. The Levites are to carry the ark upon the shoulders of themselves. The Word of God is clear. This is the way you're supposed to do it. But see, worship is not a casual thing. We're not playing when we come into worship. There's ways that you have to do it. There's order that has to be maintained. When you come to the Lord's, Lord's house to worship, it is serious business of what we're about to do. We are coming into the very presence of the Lord God Almighty. And there's order that has to be maintained. And God directs us how we are to do so. We worship according to the Word of God. We follow the directions. And the first thing that we have to understand is that we cannot, we have to do it according to the Word of God. David is not conducting worship according to the teachings of God's Word. Second thing that's happening here. David is conducting worship according to the ways of the world. If you look at that, where did David get this idea that you could put an ox on a cart? Well, I told you about it. It happens in 1 Samuel chapter 6. That the Philistines, who did not have the Word of God, they didn't understand it, they put it on a cart. So what did David see? He saw the way the world did it. He goes, I'll just do it the same way. So he puts the ark on the cart in violation, a clear violation of God's Word. It wasn't being carried by Levites, and it wasn't being carried on the shoulders. David had done that. 
He was following the pattern established by the world. Worldliness was entering into the worship of God. Churches are constantly dealing with this issue today. And that's something that leaders have to be careful in what we do. Not just pastors, but worship leaders. We have to be careful with what we do. We must never allow the ways of the world to dictate how we worship God. Now, I don't have time to dwell on, on the guidelines and all, all, all the, how we're supposed to do it because what I'm really interested, I'm interested in the heart of worship, not the mechanics of worship. Uh, that's really what we want to, want to hang on to. But, but I think there are some things that, that we can glean from this in today's because I believe there are many, and I'm not slamming any church in particular, but I'm also not developing a straw man. You go and examine them for yourself. There's a lot of churches out there that have allowed worldliness to get into the church, have allowed worldliness to get into the worship. Let me tell you what I mean. There are many churches out there that do not include a reference to sin. They do not include a reference to the cross, and they do not include a reference to repentance. They never preach about sin. They never preach about Jesus on the cross. They never preach about the need for repentance. You know why? Because that is offensive to the world. And we don't want the world to hear that because it might hinder them coming into the presence of God. Paul says we should not boast in anything but the cross of Christ. That's what we should always boast on. In any worship service, Christ ought to be exalted. Jesus ought to be lifted high. Because the Bible says that if Jesus be exalted, if Jesus be lifted up, he'll draw people to himself. But there are people that have removed sin. They've moved repentance. They've removed the cross from the worship services. And instead, what they've done is they, they've gathered around them people so they can satisfy their itching ears. Whatever that they want to hear, they let them hear that. But they never let them know that the only way to, to a loving father is through Jesus Christ, as Lord and Savior of their life. And they have brought worldliness into the church. They brought a new cart into the worship. And I wonder how, how many people how many people are we sending down the road to hell because churches are conducting worship according to the ways of the world? So the judgment comes. The judgment comes upon Usa. It comes upon David who was leading the worship. And let me tell you something, my friends. Someday judgment's going to come on all the churches who are willing to compromise the truth of God's Word. All those willing to compromise the truth. We cannot compromise worship. We cannot compromise the truth of God to be acceptable to the world. So go back over to 2 Samuel chapter 6 as we delve into it a little bit more. Not only can worship be defiled, worship can be delightful. Look at verse 12 of our passage. Now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. What they did is once Usa was killed, they stopped there and left the ark in, the, in that place, in the home of Obed-Edom. So David went down and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. There's a three-month period here. During this three-month period, David does a lot of soul searching. You know, he's the leader. He's the leader of the people of Israel. Uh, he, he does a lot of soul searching. Remember what we've learned about David? He's a man after God's own heart. 
And because he's a man after God's own heart, he searches out and he tries to discern what it is that God would have him do. David was close enough to God that when he made a mistake, he was willing to admit it, hone up to it and said, I made a mistake. Now, what can I do to make this right? That's what David does. And so he begins to looking for the way to make it right. So what he's doing, he searches the scriptures to find out what God wants done in worship. Turn over to 1 Chronicles chapter 15. The reason I have you turn to 1 Chronicles is because it's the, the companion passage to this passage in 2 Samuel 6. And as we look at that, it says in verse 2 of, 2 Sam, of 1 Chronicles 15, Then David said, No one but the Levites may carry the ark of God, because the Lord chose them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister before him forever. Hmm. David seems to have learned something here. You know, uh, David seems to be understanding. Where did David discover this information? Look at verses 14 through 15. So the priests and Levites consecrated themselves in order to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel. And the Levites carried the ark of God with the poles on their shoulders as Moses had commanded in accordance with what? The word of the Lord. So David went back went back to God's infallible word, inerrant word, and he said, oh, here's what we're supposed to do. And then David brought up the ark with the rejoicing. Turn over to 2 Samuel chapter 6 again. Yeah, don't you love this skip to do da method? Skip around from passage to passage. But we have to understand the context. We have to understand the word. David has learned his lesson. He said, okay, now we're going to obey the scriptures. Now we're going to obey God's word. So he has the Levites carrying, the, carrying the, the ark with the proper poles. And look what happens in verse 13. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. This verse reveals two truths that are essential to worship that is delightful. Worship that pleases God. First, worship that is delightful has no time limit. No time limit. Notice what it says. It says for every six steps they took, they slaughtered the animals to make an offering, a sacrifice. Now, we don't know. We know it was 11 miles when they began moving the ark to Jerusalem. We have no idea of how much distance was left. But can you imagine the time that was involved in making that every six steps you stop and you, and you make a sacrifice? And then you go another six steps and you stop and make a sacrifice. I could see the Pharisees, they weren't around back then, but I could see the Pharisees over there checking their hourglasses and saying, this is dragging on a little bit long. This is dragging on a little longer than I want. I've got a roast in the oven back home. Or, you know, we've got to beat the Methodists to the, to, uh, the Mexican food place. That's probably not biblical. Some of you right now are kind of look at you watch. How long is the preacher? Is this giving the preacher license to continue on? Well, you know, in the words of my good friend Eugene Garner, why not? <laughs> why not? They weren't on the clock. There must have been a lot of time involved in the process. Can you imagine how long it took to conduct this worship service? But there's also a second truth revealed in that one verse. Worship that is delightful is costly. We have no way of knowing uh, how much time and how much the possessions it costs them 
in doing this. There's no way of knowing. Those individuals who complain about uh, churches taking up offerings, they don't understand worship. When you come into worship service, it should make be a sacrifice upon you. It should be costly to you. It should be. It costs them. We have no way of knowing how much, but it must have been expensive. When you worship the Lord, you worship on the basis of sacrifice. Sacrifice of your time and a sacrifice of your money. You do that. There's another truth. Look at verse 14. David, wearing a linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all his might. Third truth. Worship that is delightful is a celebration to the Lord. I want you to catch this. Look at the passage. It says that David danced before the Lord. David was not dancing to put on a show. David was not dancing to draw attention to himself. David danced before the Lord. That is critical for us to understand. David understood that. He was exuberant. He was excited. He was moved in the spirit to dance before the Lord. Never to draw attention to himself. Never to point out what he was doing. It is simply a celebration before the Lord. He's expressing his joy. He's expressing his exhilaration. He's expressing his happiness and his worship of the Lord. We can learn from David's example. What does it say? It wasn't half-hearted. He danced before the Lord, what? With all his might. It wasn't half-hearted. It wasn't flippant. It was new. It was fresh. He was dancing before the Lord. But notice what else. It also says that the people were doing it as well. Look at verse 15. While he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. They were shouting. There was music. There was dancing. This was probably not the first Baptist church. All right? It wasn't that. You get the impression as you read the passage, this is a happy event. This is a glorious event. And should it not be glorious when we enter into the presence of the Holy of Holies, in the presence of God himself, it should be that way. And what says, when David settled the ark in Jerusalem at its resting place, look at what it says in verse 18. He blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Fourth truth. Worship that is delightful should be a blessing. We should be blessed when we come into the house of God. It's always my hope. It's always my prayer as your pastor. That every prayer prayed, every song sung, every offering given, every, every lesson taught, every sermon proclaimed is a blessing to you. It's a blessing to you. That's always should be our hope, and that should always be our prayer. Verse 19, look at what it says. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins, each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. David gave nourishment to the people. Now, it could be because this was an all-day affair. This would be kind of be, resemble the potlucks, okay? After it's over, we've got to have a potluck, okay? So this is what David did. 
David gave them food. But I think there's a spiritual truth that we can apply from this. Worship that is delightful should feed the people. You should come here and you should be spiritually encouraged to live out your life in obedience to Christ. You should live out your life in a way that helps you get through the ups, get through the downs of life so that you can be encouraged, you can be built up, that you can have something that spiritually nourishes you. You need strength for the days ahead. Every song, every prayer, every lesson, every sermon should give you spiritual food. Last week I talked about we gather to worship, to be encouraged, to be equipped, and to experience God. Here we see that we also come to be built up, to be spiritually fed by the Word of God. So worship can be defiled. Worship can be delightful. One more truth. Worship can be despised. Let's go back to verse 16 and notice what it says. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. The first thing you notice, she was not a part of the worship service. She wasn't there. She observed it from her window. Why? Why was she not there? Now keep in mind, she is the daughter of a king, and she's the husband of a king. She should have been leading the way, or the wife of a king. Uh, I think, I hope y'all caught that little slip there, okay? Uh, uh, she should have been leading the way. She should have been there with her husband, leading the way in worship, but she wasn't. She should have set an example. Now, I want to give you a truth on this passage. And I'm just going to, right now, I'm going to apologize to you if it hurts you, okay? Just right now. This is a public apology. If you are offended by what I'm about to say, I apologize, okay? But one of the ways that we despise worship is when we stay home. We despise worship when we stay home. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, you stay at home because you're sick, because you're traveling, or something like that. I'm talking about when you deliberately choose to stay home. When you deliberately choose to stay home, you are telling God, I despise worship. That's what you're telling him. And I'm afraid there's a myth going on in America today that what we do down here on Sundays, Sunday mornings and Sunday nights is not important. It doesn't matter anymore. And we are no better than Usa because we treat the things of God with contempt. What we do down here is important. And when we choose to stay home, just because of our own, own, own choice, we are telling God, nothing going on down there that demands my attention. We are despising the worship of God. We are like Usa, who became so accustomed to the ark being around that he thought he could do whatever he wanted with the ark. Now look at the rest of the verse in that passage. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Michael represents those who have no appreciation for spiritual things and resent anything spiritual they see in anybody else. 
They're upset when anybody has joy. They're upset with, with, with a spiritual thing when people get excited, people get exuberant. Listen, the second thing we understand, we despise worship when we are critical of the way others worship. And that goes on both sides of the fence. We become critical the way others worship. This is what happened with Michael. She became critical. Anybody that, that shows a little excitement, she was critical of it. Look at verse 20. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. Here's what's going on. David's had a wonderful worship experience. I mean, he is pumped. Okay, he is excited, and he comes on, man, I have danced before the Lord. I have allowed the Spirit to, to infill my heart. I just got to go tell somebody about this. I'm going to go home, and I'm going to bless my family. I guess that could be another, another truth of, of worship that is delightful. It should lead you to bless others. It should lead you to bless others. Uh, that's not in your notes, but you can add that one if you're taking notes. Worship that is delightful should lead you to bless other people. Maybe David's humming one of the, the songs in his, in, in his mind, or maybe he's singing the lyrics. I mean, he, was a, he wrote them. He, maybe he was singing, you know. We, we have no way of knowing. But he comes home, and he wants to share with his family. And we'll notice what she says in verse 20. How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today disrobing in the sight of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. You know what she's saying? Yeah, well, don't you think you're so cute? Don't you think you're all that, taking off your royal robes, dressing like one of the common folk? He probably wore a shirt tail out. Tennis shoes. Or I could have wore a Hawaiian shirt. Yeah, you just can't tell. Never get the impression that what David did was indecent. It wasn't indecent. It was humility before the Lord. He said, Lord, I don't care what people think about me. I'm here to worship you. I don't care. He did not let his exalted position as king of Israel keep him from worshiping the Lord. Michael's too dignified. She's too reserved. She represents all the dignified folks, the ones who complain when somebody says amen, the ones who gripe when somebody lifts their hands in worship, the ones who, who, who complain when somebody might actually clap during a song. Michael represents those people. She represents those people who look down on those who just get a little excited in the worship of God. I've got news for you, folks. When we stand before the Lord in heaven, it will not be boring. It will not be boring. It will be exciting for the first billion years, and then we'll get serious. Michael represents those who look down their noses at others who are happy in the Lord. I won't tell you what David said, but here's basically what David said. He said, I want you to know I'm going to get down there with the common people. I am not too good to get excited 
in worship. David says, I will become even more undignified than this. He said, because it ain't about me. It's about him. One more thing. Look at verse 23. And Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. You know something important about that verse? It does not say Michael, the wife of David. It says Michael, the daughter of Saul. Why does the author say that? It's because Michael revealed by her contempt for the things of God and for God himself that she was just like her daddy, Saul. Said she wasn't like David. She was like her daddy, Saul. And notice what else it says about her. She had no children. None. People like her never have any spiritual children. Children. Never. All they do is complain. All they do is criticize and find something to bellyache about. They never get into the music. They never get into the dancing. And as a result, they never have any spiritual children. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is not their strength. They never have any spiritual children. Here's the truth for us. Worship has to become a priority in our lives. It has to be. If we are going to be all that we can be in Christ, worship must have priority. Because it's in worship where we experience the presence of God. It's in worship when we get empowered by the Spirit of God. It's in worship when we go and we evangelize through the Word of God. Worship must take priority in our lives. For some of us, myself included, all of us, we've got to examine our attitude. We need to have a checkup from the neck up. What's going on? Or maybe we need to examine our heart. Matt Redman is a contemporary Christian artist out of United Kingdom. And like many churches, several years ago, they were going through worship wars. And people couldn't get happy with whatever they did, nobody was happy. So the pastor said, that's it. We're not going to sing anymore in the church. All we're going to do is pray and preach. And that went on for several months until God gripped the heart of the people. Then Matt Redman wrote a song entitled, I'm Coming Back to the Heart of Worship. It's all about you, Lord. It's all about you. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've made it when it's all about you. It's all about you. Folks, I want you to know what we do down here on Sunday morning in the first service and the second service is we worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's what we do. That's what we're here to do. Whether we worship through traditional singing of hymns or we worship through electric guitar and drums. Guess what? The name of Jesus is proclaimed and the worship of God Almighty is done. We will do it. But my question to you is, what's your attitude about worship? What's your attitude about worship? Are you like David, who danced before the Lord? Or are you like Michael, who despised everything about it? 
Only you can answer that question. In a moment, we're going to have a time to give you an opportunity to respond. Yeah, you know, I don't really know what your response is. I'm not looking for anybody to come dancing down the aisle, okay? Uh, you know, some of you might break a hip if you did that, okay? That's not what we're doing, all right? Uh, but maybe for some of you, maybe you need a church home. This is a great church. We love Jesus. We love people. And we just love to serve others. Uh, we ain't got our act together. Can I, can I just, can I say that? Is that okay? We don't have our act together. You know what? I'm probably going to, I'm probably going to commit some sin tomorrow. I'll probably have pride or arrogance or ego or something like that. Hey, join the crowd, right? You know what we do? We just do life together. We struggle through things. We try to do the best we can to be the follower of Jesus that he'd have us to be. But we do it together. We don't want to do it alone. So maybe you need a church home like that, a place that you can be encouraged and you can be an encourager. Maybe you can, you can be a part of the body of Christ as we try to make a difference in Waco, Texas, right where God has placed us right here at 6301 Bosque Boulevard, 3,500 people drive by every day. And I pray that one of them will at least say that's where Jesus lives. That's where Jesus lives in that church. So some of you, maybe you need a church home. But others of you, uh, maybe you said, you know, I've been in church all my life. And I got religion. What I really need is Jesus. I tell you, we can tell you how to come to Jesus. We can tell you how to have a personal faith in Jesus Christ. For others of you, maybe you just need to recommit your life to Jesus Christ. Whatever decision you make, we're going to invite you to come. As Kip comes to lead us, as the instrumentals come to play, would you stand with me as I lead us in a time of prayer?